Welcome to the Coast, week two. We are privileged to have Dr. Corey Claxton from the School of Nursing in the College of Health Sciences at Georgia College. Welcome, Corey. Thank you, Dr. Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. And, and listeners, uh, we are lucky to have Dr. Claxton's uh, expertise areas today in, in, in mental health and more specifically mental health post-COVID, um, during COVID, as well as cyberbullying. Um, so let's get started here. Uh, again, it's great to have you, Dr. Claxton. I'm excited that you're here. You know, we, we throw out the term mental health. It's kind of a buzzword nowadays. Um, I, I know what, what it means to me, mm-hmm. but I always like operationally defining uh, terms, specifically to experts. And so I'm going to throw the first question out to you. If you were to operationally define uh, the term mental health, what comes to mind? Mm. Well, um, is probably, uh, I'm sure the dictionary textbook will give you a, a better, more polished uh, definition, but basically it's, it's kind of the um, combination of um, emotional and psychological well-being um, that's on a spectrum. And that's, that's the important thing to note. It's on a spectrum. You have on the one extreme mental illness and you have on the other mental wellness and people they travel along that spectrum um, given what may be going on in their lives Um, and it's a matter of you know patterns of of behavior and how long we're spent in the negative side of of that spectrum that when it becomes like a recurring problem and it becomes something that's just you know really detrimental to your well-being and functioning that we can start looking at calling it mental illness. Um, but the, the goal of it, and this is what we harp on in, in class a lot with, with students, is always the goal is to return to a previous level of functioning and to be your best version of yourself that you could be um, and to go back on that spectrum because it's not a, you know, a permanent, you don't have to be mentally ill all the time just because you may have a mental, um, mental illness you know, or a diagnosis of mental illness does not mean that you have to live mentally ill um, with treatments and with therapy, um, a combination of, of medicine, medication and therapy. And so um, the important thing to, to note is, you know, it's just the combination of emotional and psychological well-being that's, that's on a spectrum. Hmm. It's the way I, I sure. define it. So, you know, defining those spectrums, I think, is important. You know, I always like to say, well, what does a mentally healthy person look like, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I have mental illness. What does that mean in regards to what are the characteristics that I possess? Mm-hmm. Over the years, have you been able to kind of thematize what it looks like to be mentally healthy? I know everyone's different, of sure, course, and it's yeah. case by case, but, mm-hmm. but for, you know, just characteristics of mental um, or being mentally healthy, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Well, often, as you mentioned, it's uh, case by case, and some people are perfectly fine. They just, you know, maybe... Uh, a little monotone or maybe mm-hmm. a little, you know, and so you're wondering if things all right, but no, it's just how they talk mm-hmm. um, or something like that. But um, often with someone more mentally healthy, you will see a lot less negative talk mm-hmm. um, about themselves or others. Mm-hmm. You know, there's being real like, I don't know, uh, pessimistic and, you know, finding negativity in, in kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may even see, like if you see, uh, people who are dealing with like depression, um, you may see like they're they're 
gait look differently, mm-hmm. like uh, how they move, how they mm-hmm. walk, how they carry themselves. Maybe just be like a little slower and just kind of not as much pep in the step, you know, especially if you have seen that person before when they were not like that. And I was explaining to patient, um, to my students this past Monday, when they were in clinical, they were pointing out some of the nonverbal features that they were seeing and some patients in the group. And my students didn't have access to the charts or anything, but they were just speculating about what kind of could be going on um, in, in, in patient. And so, they were just noting the lack of eye contact, not talking very much, and just kind of wanting to pretend like they weren't there is, is kind of the sense they got. And I was explaining to them when I um, worked at an outpatient, um, I'm doing more telehealth now, but um, when I would get patients from the lobby, I could see if I had seen them for months prior or even one time prior, that next time I could tell usually the way they were walking to me when I called their name. Um, how they got up and walked, usually I could tell if things were the same, worse, or better. Obviously, it's not a diagnostic tool, but it was a pretty reliable anecdotal indicator um, of the conversation we were about to have and kind of the direction it might would be going. Mm. So, going through a pandemic, and hopefully we're, we're coming out, um, it being March of 2022, what have you seen from a mental health perspective um, of adolescents, college-age students, adults, from from a mental health perspective? I've seen a lot more anxiety, mm-hmm. um, a lot more depression and grief, mm-hmm. loss of loved ones, mm-hmm. um, loss of the ability to do things we used to, mm-hmm. you know, um, just so freely. Mm-hmm. Um, having travel restrictions and, mm-hmm. you know, it can be as benign as, oh man, my vacation got canceled, Mm -hmm. to I only get to see my family in another country once a year, and now I can't go, either with restrictions here or there. And it's detrimental, you know, to to a lot of, um, you know, families like, um, you know, take what's going on like Ukraine or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had students um, that they go visit, and students and and friends that they would go visit, very frequently, but that's something they really look forward to and their family look forward to. And it's like, mm-hmm. you have code restrictions. And now with, you know, this going on mm-hmm. over there, it's like just adding, you know, to that. Mm-hmm. And, and so it could be as, you know, mild as an inconvenience to really, really traumatizing to not be able to visit your loved ones mm-hmm. um, in other countries. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is affected people in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, some have handled it better than others. Some have been through worse than, than others. You know, every person mm-hmm. is different, but certainly, by and large, I've seen a lot more depression and mm-hmm. a lot more anxiety, and I've adjusted a lot more depression, anxiety medications mm-hmm. during this time period than, than I did before, by far. Mm-hmm. So depression, anxiety, pessimism, mm-hmm. almost uh, I'm hearing catastrophic thoughts at times, mm-hmm. um, being lethargic, right? Yeah. You know, just an, another, maybe a... Um, a side product of depression, of course, mm-hmm, but, sure. but when you, you know, you have to stay at home and, you know, there are a yeah. lot of negative, you know, um, characteristics that can come on you. Yeah. Um, just by isolating yourself. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we by and large need to be accomplishing things, you know, mm-hmm. whether it, it is as small as getting up and getting ready for the day, mm-hmm. you know, walking outside, mm-hmm. going to get groceries, you know, doing something that is some kind of, that has some sort of like productivity, mm-hmm. you know, you know, 
just a little bit of dopamine, you know, mm-hmm. um, that reward. Mm-hmm. And so when certain things are, you know, restricted or maybe you, you can't work because um, maybe your job or like, okay, work from home. And that might be fun for a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, and some people really, really like it. Some people, you know, <laughs> actually fared quite well um, <laughs> given some of the circumstances if they just really don't want to be around people. But mm-hmm. even even folks who really are really introverted need some kind of human interaction mm-hmm. you know, at, at some point. And so um, especially um, kids and teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's been a big, a big problem um, with them, with the schools that for a long time, you know, being shut down, going virtual, mm-hmm. um, was them being away from their friends, being away from uh, sports, mm-hmm. you know, um, like some of the amazing athletes that, that we have in, in high school and they're, maybe they're the first in their family to try to, they get a scholarship to go to college mm-hmm. and like, now they can't play and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're worried about their future and it just, there are so many things that, that the pandemic has affected mm-hmm. that I think probably if you picked three random people and asked them how it's affected them, you're going to get completely different stories and you will probably hear something that you didn't think about. Um, it's just, it has affected so many people. Mm, yeah. So, you know, over the, the last couple of years, how have you been able to um, distinguish between someone who may have a clinical diagnosis mm-hmm. versus someone who is feeling a little bit down, sure. pessimistic, um, maybe anxious just because they're not being able to do stuff, mm-hmm. but less clinical. Um, right. How have you been able to distinguish between the two? It, it can be difficult. Um, the first first thing you want to do, like when you're doing a, you know, a diagnostic is, um, what's the timeline? When did this start? Mm-hmm. And it has this happened before. Mm. Um, does it get better when, you know, certain things are, are done? Like when you go exercise, when you get out of a certain situation, you know, so is it more of like an adjustment issue? Mm-hmm. Um, like a temporary thing or like a grief for example grief is normal you know it's it is normal to be sad if someone passes away or mm-hmm. grieving of a loss of a relationship mm-hmm. or a friendship or something like that and so there there is a you know going back to that spectrum mm-hmm. all of us can dip down of theirs it's a matter of how we can come back mm-hmm. and so when there's like a chronic persistent um that feeling goes away or that feeling remains, but whatever might have like been the triggering event is long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start to see that kind of pattern and the person just can't really pull themselves back out. Then we want to start looking at maybe this is more of um, not just a situational thing. Um, but with anxiety and depression, um, it all depends on severity. Sometimes look, psychotherapy is going to be your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, I, I'm not certified in any kind of psychotherapy. Um, medication management is mostly what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody doesn't have to be on medication, then, you know, I, I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually for pretty severe anxiety and depression, a combination of medication um, and psychotherapy um, is best. But everybody's different. Some people are like, look, I'm not taking medicine. Okay, cool. You know, mm-hmm. like whatever. My role is to help you make your best decision for your mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm here to offer you options and help you narrow some things down to whatever fits your lifestyle and what you're okay with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Because it's not about what I think might be best for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have the 
best medication I think is going to work for them, but if mm-hmm. they don't want to take it, what good is it? They're not going to take it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's their body, wherever mm-hmm. they, they want to take. I'm not going to take it. So, um, you know, it's um, kind of a role as, as a teacher, you know, as well mm-hmm. as somebody who just has prescriptive authority. Sure. Um, and so, you know, like with your question, whether it's more kind of situational, just mm-hmm. kind of on the edge of, mm-hmm. you know, possibly being, you know, mentally ill versus full-blown, mm-hmm. you know, deep in the major depressive diagnosis or, you know, anxiety. Mm-hmm. It just really depends on how extreme, how long it's been going on, are there certain circumstances that continue to affect it and their ability to pull themselves out. And so um, usually, like I said, either psychotherapy alone or a combination of, of mm-hmm. psychotherapy and, and medication. I tell um, patients a lot that um, because psychotherapy can be really stressful at first. Mm-hmm. It, it can be something that is very anxiety-provoking. Mm-hmm. And... Um, countless times I somebody would start therapy and they come back from office medication management they're like I feel worse you know mm-hmm. and I'm like that's not uncommon mm-hmm. because you're uncovering things and discussing things that are really difficult mm-hmm. and so it, it shakes your emotions up for a little bit but that's kind of the point is to get through the hard work and I, mm-hmm. I use the analogy like medication is like having supplements or mm-hmm. um, you know uh, yeah like supplements for like working out mm-hmm. you know it's, it's gonna help you tone that physique but it won't get you that physique. That's what psychotherapy does. Mm-hmm. That's the hard work. That's the workout. Mm-hmm. And so when you use them together, you know, now you have more a better result mm-hmm. often, you know, obviously every case by case is different, but that's mm-hmm. usually an analogy that I will use when it's when it's kind of an appropriate parallel. Um, but it's hard work, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a little easier sometimes to swallow a pill and hope to feel better as opposed mm-hmm. to really talking about these things that are really difficult. Sure. You know, uh, keep hearing the, the terms climbing out, you know, mm-hmm. getting out and uh, throwing the word out of resiliency, you yeah. know, resiliency training and, mm-hmm. and, and how important that word is to uh, people during COVID, you know. Um, and nowadays the military has resiliency coaches and mm-hmm. it's just a, a, an important word to us to, to be able to overcome you know, um, setbacks or hurdles yeah. or what have you. What are your thoughts on that term? And how have you been able to teach resiliency um, at all to whether it be your students or, mm-hmm. or patients? Yeah. Resiliency is one of the biggest keys mm-hmm. to um, mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Resiliency, insight. Mm-hmm. Um, and with resiliency, my only hope with this, you know, horrible pandemic that's happened is for those who have come out of it, mm-hmm. you know, that we will be more resilient, mm-hmm. you know, and, and cause this is something that no one expected. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, kind of happened just as many things in life do. Mm-hmm. And like with psychotherapy, you know, going back to it is, um, one of the major things is like giving you tools to use and to be kind of make friends with emotions, mm-hmm. not settling for when you're, you know, dealing with bouts of, you know, severe mental illness, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't never settle for that, but being aware and like I said, making friends with emotions that sometimes can be negative, you know, like when you're feeling really anxious, like, okay, all right, I'm feeling anxious. What can I do about it now? Mm-hmm. Anxiety is normal, you know, emotion. I mean, it was in the hunter gatherer days, mm-hmm. kept us alive, <laughs> you know, kept us yeah. away from, from predators and yeah. all that kind of thing. Now, we live a easier lifestyle mm-hmm. and humans like to create problems that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we shouldn't be creating in our, in our own heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and the anxiety just gets out of control. Mm-hmm. And so, um, teaching that kind of resilience, like, okay, look, okay, I'm feeling this way. 
it does not have to stay this way. Like now I, you know, what are some things I could do? Like talking about deep breathing or mm-hmm. if you have, uh, you know, like playing guitar, I like to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of coping skill to teach mm-hmm. that kind of resilience. And you'd be mm-hmm. like, all right, look, it's, it's not fun right now, but I, I can get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that therapy is restructuring, like uh, a cognitive restructuring, mm-hmm. you know, some, some of that negative talk. And sure. Like, I, you know, I can't do anything about this or they may not say that sentence directly, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the indication. It's like, why is this happening? All that kind of, it's like, okay, well, what can we do? Let's, let's take the control back. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how can we, like you said, pull ourselves out? So resiliency is, is absolute key. And, mm-hmm. um, something that and I'll tell students and patients too, is like uh, a good example. People often see the results of, you know, um, hard work. So like, you know, graduating, or you know, someone has a nice job and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, how lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't see how many times that person tripped and fell before mm-hmm. they got to that point. Mm-hmm. And a big thing about, you know, people define failure and things like that in different ways. I think it's more of if you if you have shortcomings at a goal, it's kind of how you pick yourself up and what uses is a learning tool. Like, okay, mm-hmm. that won't happen again. Let me try, you know, something else. And it's and that just builds on that resiliency of. You know, it's a, it's a it's a long it's a chess game. You know, it, like life really kind of is. It's it's a strategy thing. You don't just try once and just give up. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, you can, but that's <laughs> now we're talking about mentally unhealthy again. You mm-hmm. know, like what are some ways you could take back the reins and, and continue and dust yourself off? Because all the successful people I know, quote unquote, have had shortcomings. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of what they do with them and overcome them. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of people just, they don't really know that, you know, um, because you don't know anyone's story in life until maybe they want to share that with you. Mm, That's powerful. So, you know, we kind of talked about what mental health is, um, talked about mental health during the pandemic. You know, one of your areas of expertise that I'm fascinated by is, is this, is the notion of, of cyberbullying, um, and, and just the phenomena of cyberbullying and uh, how prevalent it is in, in today's society and how prevalent it is, you know, during the pandemic because yeah. of so much online communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to share uh, kind of your thoughts on cyberbullying, um, you know, your, your research line, uh, some of the research projects you've done. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you know, as a parent myself, you know, what would be some things you could tell parents um, uh, who are listening uh, and if they have a child who's gone through or uh, even an older adult that has gone through cyberbullying, how to cope with that? Sure. Um, Yes, cyberbullying is, given the timeline of of human beings, Mm -hmm. cyberbullying is one of the newest um, forms of of bullying because the technology era is fairly new and Mm -hmm in the human timeline and not just that, but now the availability of being online, almost everyone in first world countries has at least the ability to access either cell service mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the, the internet. Mm-hmm. It's not like before when the computers first came out, you had to get <laughs> on the computer and, you know, plug in the little, uh, phone cable to get <laughs> dial up. And, you know, like I did till I was 15, cause yeah. I lived in the middle of nowhere. But, um, you know, now, Almost everybody has access to it, mm-hmm. and it's convenient, mm-hmm. but is also potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the issues is the inability to monitor 
effectively a child or teenager's activity mm. online, um, whether coming across um, things that may be age appropriate, they, they don't even know whether maybe they just saw or heard mm-hmm. um, or how to interpret that. And most parents try really hard mm-hmm. to, you know, they want to grant their child freedom, but also they want to be, you know, cautious about maybe what, what they see and stuff. Thing is, each generation is a little trickier. Each generation gets more exposure to newer things. So, you know, the a lot of the parents of uh, these younger kids maybe didn't grow up with that level of um, access to the internet or being online at that age. You know, um, that wasn't a thing, you know, when I was uh, eight, nine, ten years old, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when we had the computer, but again, lives in the middle of nowhere. We had to, you know, my mom had the dial-up password anyway, so, you know, I was, I was pretty well protected. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but with that said, uh, the point is, <clears throat> Even when I was in high school and starting to hear about cyberbullying, mm-hmm. I had the same um, notion of a misunderstanding because my thought process, like um, you read a lot of parents, um, like when you look at the, the literature, a lot of their um, attitudes about it are like, well, turn the computer off or mm-hmm. delete your social media or what, you know, <laughs> what, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. And I see their point, but what the child or adolescent hears is my feelings getting dismissed you're like what like you don't understand and so that kind of um discourages them from opening up about it Mm -hmm. because maybe their parents or caregivers guardians don't really know how to respond and that's what you'll see like in, in some of the qualitative literature about um how the attitudes of parents about cyberbullying or having conversations about it are it's like we don't know what to say Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. it's just more of a i I don't know because that wasn't really around you know Mm -hmm. physical bullying has been around as long as humans have been alive (laughs) um you know and and emotional like intimidation Mm -hmm. and that type stuff that's been around but you know something negative post on uh, posted online that you can't get off is Mm -hmm. different i mean even as full adults like if you run a restaurant and you have the person completely lying on Yelp and you know, it's, you can't get rid of that, you know, rating. It's annoying. Mm-hmm. But with the psychological development stage of early adolescence and you know, late childhood, they're still figuring out who they are. That's the part of their ego development is, you know, self-worth and you know, having friends and affirmation. And so when something negative is said online, especially if it's not true mm-hmm. or misconstrued or something, and they have no control to do anything about it, it's a lot more detrimental to their psyche. Mm. And, Again, going back to their development stage, they have a lot of black and white thinking. Like it's either all good or all bad, or now everybody hates me, and it's a, it's a crisis now. And um, I'll share a, a statistic that I found extremely shocking that when I was first doing a literature review on um, my project on cyberbullying in middle school students was from 2007 um, to 2017, so a 10-year span. The suicide rate for 10-year-olds to 14-year-olds has tripled. Mm. And as long as the data has been being collected, and I don't remember how long it's been collected before, I've, it's been it was a few years at least prior, mm-hmm. but it was stagnant before mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the timeline, that's about when social media started to mm-hmm. kind of take off. Mm-hmm. And so, now does that mean your child absolutely mm-hmm. can't have social media? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing this correlation, and one of the uh, risk factors that that we find for 
uh, kids who are being cyberbullied or you know high risk to be cyberbullied, being online a lot, not having a lot of friends and that type of thing or physical friends, is they feel like they can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. They feel like maybe their parents or guardians won't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. You know, like because kids tend to bear the burden upon themselves a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, and so maybe they feel like they're they can't share that with them, and. You know, like I said, parents want to help. They they want what's best for their kid, but it's knowing how to respond. And so one of the biggest safeguards against that is having um, a more um, personal relationship and open relationship with uh, between guardian and, and child. Mm-hmm. So they feel like they can talk to them, mm-hmm. even if it's hard. They feel like maybe they can bring this up, like, you know, people are being mean to me or, you know, and just kind of start a conversation like that. And so a, a warm relationship is one of the biggest protective factors because maybe it can't stop what's already happened, but it can prevent things from getting worse, uh, potentially, that you don't they don't experience more cyberbullying. This can go and get addressed um, or talked about. And so you know, maybe what the child interprets as detrimental may not mm-hmm. be quite as bad mm-hmm. um, from like an adult perspective or someone they look up mm-hmm. to. Um, and so... There are tools, like in, in my project, there's a free app called No Bullying. It's on the SAMHSA website mm. um, that is, like I said, free to download. It's for uh, guardians, parents, mm-hmm. and it gives them information on how to address bullying situations, what kind of resources to use, how to talk about cyberbullying and that type of thing. Um, so it's, it's more of a, like a teaching resource for them of like, man, I don't know what to do. Like what my, my kid's doing with this. I want to help. I don't want to make it worse, you know, and so... Stuff like that. So it's it's kind of aimed to, like, help educate them on how to approach these situations based on literature, mm-hmm. um, what shows to work. Again, every kid's different, but at least it may give, give them somewhere to start. Mm-hmm. Great. That's, that's um, some really good information, specifically for the parents that are out there. And, and uh, of course, not to, to hold you to anything, but um, talking to you before, um, I know you're open um, to hearing from parents or even uh, youth that, that are mm-hmm. going through cyberbullying. I know it's a very important uh, part of your life in, in, sure. in regards to helping others mm-hmm. who are going through any type of cyberbullying uh, experiences. Yeah. Um, so uh, if there's anybody out there that, that would like to talk to Corey or, or communicate with Corey, please uh, look him up uh, on the School of Nursing's webpage. I believe his... Uh, Emails at mm-hmm. corey.claxton yeah. at gcsu.edu and yes, uh, shoot him an email and, and I imagine Corey will uh, communicate with you. Corey, um, you are a saint for coming in and, and talking uh, on a Friday and, and uh, I, really, blush over here. I really appreciate your time and, and again, your expertise areas is, uh, are really, really interesting and and I'm, we're just lucky to have you here. So I appreciate it very much, Daniel. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Have a great day, okay? You too, partner. All right.